Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Israel to Bloodlines here on Eurofolk Radio. Today is March 14, 2021, and we're learning our ABCs of the Book of Revelation. And uh, last week we covered the Church of Ephesus in Scripture, but we neglected to give the historical background of that city. Uh, so we're going to do that today before we go into Smyrna. Uh, there's going to be a lot of historical information today uh, relating to these so-called seven churches. But we'll be covering mainly Ephesus and Smyrna. And then we'll go into the the prophecies concerning Smyrna once we get done with all the historical information. So, good morning, Michael, or good day. <laughs> it's afternoon in Sweden. And um, we uh, a lot of people may be late today because I forgot to announce that the, the time changed. Clocks forward last night. And so, oh, my, uh, my uh, alarm clock just went off. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Michael, why don't you say a few words to the crowd while I turn off my my alarm clock? I'll be right back, okay? Uh, yeah, all right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to this um, now edition of um, Bloodlines, where we are going to go into more deeply into the book of Revelation. And now we are going to into chapter, uh, it's two, but it's going to be, as Eli also said, about Smyrna, but before that, we will also go in and read, as I said, and and some uh, excerpt from an article that is about Ephesus and the historical uh, background of it, of it. So we get more um, more meat to the matter. And um, so that's the plan for today. Okay. All right. I forgot to set uh, my clock forward, so it just went off now, but Yahweh woke me up <laughs> an hour earlier. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're good, folks. Okay, so what we're, we're going to do a lot of historical information today to set up um, the, the, uh, these prophecies, and uh, because there are historical statements made by John in, in these passages and prophetic statements, okay? And uh, Brother Aber gives us some information. At one time, Ephesus was controlled by Hittites, taken over by Greeks, 1087 BC, ruled by Persians, recovered by Alexander the Great, and finally taken over by Romans and made capital of the province of Asia in 6 BC. Okay, so uh, deep history there. But uh, f- first of all, I just want to quickly talk about the Apostle John and uh well, this historical sketch from www.biblepath.com, the Apostle John. John was the brother of the Apostle James. He was also the son of Zebedee, a fisherman of Galilee. His mother name, mother's name was Salome, who is believed to be a sister of Jesus' mother Mary. John, his brother James, and the Apostles Peter and Andrew were all partners in a fishing business Prior to their calls by Jesus to follow him, Zebedee was also a partner. It is said that John, see, there's capitalism, folks. (laughs) Pure capitalism. It is said that John owned a home in Jerusalem and that it is possible that the interview Nicodemus had with Jesus was held there. The Apostle John rose to a position of influence within worldwide Christianity, which is... uh, 
kind of an odd statement there. What, what kind of worldwide Christianity was there? Christianity was just unfolding itself. Uh, he's probably talking about uh, the extended, I don't know if he includes the, um, what do you call it, the dispersion. So this is a kind of an odd statement. Was there any such thing as worldwide Christianity at this time, Michael? No, it were more, as you said, it was more of a dispersion. Our yeah, the ten tribes were up in in Europe in in their hedonistic um, right. worlds and, and their pagan worship. So no, I would would not really say that they were in it at infancy to be yeah. developed in yeah, Christianity. The- yeah, to speak of a worldwide Christianity at this point in time is uh, anachronistic. He's projecting modernism on uh, his history here. A kind of an odd statement. Okay, so shortly before the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD, he moved to Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. He became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. A lot of people don't know that. He was the bishop of Ephesus and had a special relationship with other churches in the area, as we know from the letters to the seven churches in Asia in the book of Revelation. So I would think that the uh, bishops of the other cities were looking up to John, uh, because he was an actual apostle, (laughs) right? And the others weren't, because the other apostles were all killed. Uh, Let's uh, check out this information. John's brother James was the first of the apostles to die. On the other hand, John was the last. All the apostles met a violent death, however. John died peacefully in Ephesus at the advanced age around year 100 AD. There is a church tradition which says that while John was living in Ephesus, John had with him Mary, the mother of Jesus, for a few years. While in Ephesus... By order of the Roman Emperor Domitian, John was exiled to an island called Patmos in what is known as the Cave of the Apocalypse, located on this island. The sacred text of the book of Revelation was given to the Apostle John by Jesus. It is here that John recorded what is written in the New Testament book of Revelation. Other New Testament books accredited to John are the Gospel of John, along with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. When he was released from exile, he returned to Ephesus and lived till the time of the Roman Empire Emperor Trajan or Trajan. Not sure how to pronounce it. It said that John founded and built churches throughout all Asia. So it wasn't just Paul who did that; John did it too. And worn out by old age, died in the 68th year of our Lord, Lord's Passion, and was buried near the same city, Ephesus. There is a church tradition which says that when John was evidently an old man in Ephesus, he had to be carried to the church in the arms of his disciples. At these meetings, he was accustomed to say no more than little children love one another. After a time, the disciples wearied at always hearing the same words and asked, Master, why do you always say this? It is the Lord's command, was his reply. And if this alone be done, it is enough. There is also a church tradition which says that John was in Rome for a time. Okay, never heard about that. So, uh, very interesting information about the Apostle John. And so I'm going to turn it over to you uh, for the biographical uh, sketch on the city of Ephesus. Over to you, Michael. 
Thank you. Now, a question is said here that John died in Ephesus, but weren't in him, uh, who, now maybe I'm completely confused here, but who was in the belly of the beast in this Pergamos? Wasn't that John? Or I'm completely confused here. Uh, well, Pergamos, I believe, is the third city. Uh, I'm not sure. John may have gone there, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll find out when we get to that city. We probably won't get to, to that city today. So we, we can explore that then, okay? Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, yes, here we have an, an article from, it's called Evidence from Ephesus for a for the reliability of scriptures, and it's a, a biblical archaeological report. And we're going to scroll down until we reach to the section of the religions of ancient Ephesus and the worship of Artemis. And uh, I can read first the picture. We have a picture here of a you have an idol, <laughs> a, a black guess. a black Madonna. <laughs> With uh, looks like uh, avocados hanging <laughs> from her shirt. It's kind of a strange figure. Back to you. Yes. I first can first read is the text for the picture. It said, um, Artemis of the Ephesus, head, hands, and feet restored. The Ephesus uh, believed she had fallen from heaven. And that is from Acts 19.35. And that they were the guardians of her image. Statues of the distinctly, uh, distinctly Ephesus Artemis, as opposed to the Greek Artemis, have been found by ancient sites all around the Mediterranean. And this is from okay. Wikimedia. Yeah, very interesting. So there, so there's two versions of Artemis, uh, the Greek version and the Ephesian version. And uh, apparently this is the official uh, Ephesian version uh, it's uh, her her head feet and hands are painted black but she's obviously an Aryan there's no doubt that she's an Aryan woman just uh, looking at the facial features and so this is the goddess of um, that the Greeks worshipped and obviously the Ephesians worshipped before uh, the Greeks took it over and she is one of those that is supposedly descended from the gods, as we will find out from uh, th this paragraph. Back to you. Yes, so now I will read the, um, the text here on the worship of Artemis. And the discussions of the religion of the first century Ephesus must begin with the worship of the goddess uh, Artemis. According to mythology, Artemis was the virgin daughter of Zeus and Leto. And Zeus, uh, Zeus in English. <laughs> Zeus and Leto, yeah. Uh, Zeus and Leto. And was originally known as the hunting goddess, later becoming associated with virginity and protection. But here, isn't it also, they said that this was from, uh, uh, Atremis was the virgin uh, virgin daughter of, yeah, Zeus. Right. Le yeah. Okay, uh, uh, yeah, th this uh, requires some explaining. First of all, a lot of these uh, pagan religions that uh, were in the Middle East got a lot of their information from the Hebrew Bible and from other Hebrew writings, okay? So they borrowed because those they were a actually Israelites, okay? But they became paganized. The 
story of the, the prophecy of the virgin birth you know, is contained in Isaiah. But also, uh, so they would have known about it. So, in, in fact, this prophecy would have you know, been rumored about in, in, in the entire Middle East. So you can expect that a pagan religion would adopt this idea and make it its own. Okay? In addition, the prophetic Maseroth, which was the original zodiac composed by Adam, Seth, and Enoch, the very first uh, constellation that's talked about there. This is not astrology. This is the prophetic Maseroth is the zodiac composed by Adam, Seth, and Enoch predicting the life of Christ. Okay, It starts with the uh, sign Virgo. Okay, <laughs> predicting that Christ would be born of a virgin, and ends with Leo, which is the second coming of Christ at the Judgment Day, which we are shortly about to experience, okay? So that zodiac is completely different from all of the pagan zodiacs that abound you know, from the Middle East. But that's where they get this idea of a virgin daughter, okay? That's where they got this idea from. They got it from our literature. Back to you. Yeah, that was my my thought that this is something to have have taken from our mm-hmm. our uh, our our text and our yeah and the, yeah from the true religion from the only living God's uh, right. work. Yeah, so yeah, so the, it's a lie promoted by secular people that Christianity borrowed these ideas from these other religions. It's exactly the opposite. They borrowed these ideas from the Bible and from Hebrew literature and Hebrew tradition. Back to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Good. Thank you for that uh, Mm -hmm. layout of this. Uh, Because the legendary birth of Artemis and her twin brothers, Apollo, were said to have taken place near Ephesus, the city became the center of the Artemis cult. The temple of Artemis, built and rebuilt several times, became one of the seven wonders of the world. Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's a big one. Then, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, but interesting that they have to rebuild it also because I guess some living god destroyed it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, anti anti par, uh, pater of Sidon said that it uh, surpassed the other wonders and that when he saw the house of Artemis, quote, those other marvels lost their brilliancy, end okay. quote. I wonder if that includes that big statue. Uh, oh, I forget what part it was. There's a huge statue like 100 feet high <laughs> in, in Africa, you know, uh, leading to a port, but I can't, I can't remember the name of it. All right, back to you. Uh, over time, Artemis of the... Uh, Ephesians took on distinctly Ephesian qualities and eventually became known as simply Artemis of the Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Uh, while there are many images of Artemis in antiquity, statues of the Ephesian uh, Artemis are markedly different from her Greek counterparts. Okay, here is the difference between mm-hmm. them, I guess. Right. Greek one and that one from at Ephesus. Rather than the um, typical uh, huntress in a short skirt beside a deer, the Ephesian version stood uh, stiff and straight, with her legs 
appearing to be wrapped together and with bulgous uh, append appendages. Yeah, appendages. Which, um, yeah, all append- kinds of st- stuff hanging from her from her dress. It's a very like tight wrap around dress around her legs and thighs with all kinds of stuff dangling from it. Okay, back to you. Yeah, like here, there's, I don't know, avocados. That hang yeah, from right. <laughs> okay, goddess of fer- fertile avocados. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, which some identify as breast oh. on her neck and chest. Okay, sounds strange. Yeah, lots of the them. Sec- <laughs> yeah, All right. Like avocados. Mm-hmm. Um, the second century geographer, uh, Pausians, uh, records the statues of the Ephesian Artemis were found in cities other than um, Ephesus, including Corinth, some 770 miles away. Okay, so we had it in Corinth that's, too. Yeah, 770, that's quite a distance, yeah. Yeah, it is. In fact, the most common um, surname of the goddess in uh, Potion's works is, um, quote, Artemis of the Ephesians, um, a third century BC inscription refers to, uh, quote, the Lady of Ephesus, the light bearer. And oh, wow, the she's light a light bearer. bearer. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Like it's an to, to Lucifer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> then Ephesians believing that Artemis had a dissident, descendant from there the heaven and, fa- um, and favored them. Uh, were extremely proud of their goddess and became her protector. Okay, so this is an example of the fabled genealogies that Paul criticizes in his writings. He's not talking about our genealogies, which are historical. He's talking about these fake genealogies of the paganized uh, dispersion. Okay, so here's one example, Artemis. Yeah, that makes total sense. This yeah. is yeah. This is only stuff that they come up with, and we shouldn't discuss. Yeah, I, I yeah, and you can get that from Judeo-Christians. They use that verse. Don't use, um, yeah. don't uh, argue with uh, you know exactly what. Yeah, they, that we shouldn't uh, check out our own genealogy. Of course, that's a yeah. false teaching. Yeah, that's a false teaching. Is regarding to do some, do fake one. Yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, Dan from Georgia and I have been covering the genealogy of. Uh, Yahshua Messiah in Matthew and Luke, why is it there? <laughs> it's to be ignored, right? I'm sorry, folks. It's there for a reason, because it is tracing the genealogy of our Messiah and, of course, Israel, right? Yeah. Okay? Amazing shows- the garbage that the Judeo churches teach. Back to you. Yeah, and it shows the importance that our Creator puts in the Scriptures, why He put it there, because it's so important. Amen. Um, the Bible descriptions of the worship of Artemis in Ephesus is striking in its similarity when compared with these historical sources. In the book of Acts, Luke records how the uh, compliance of the silversmiths... Yeah, complaint. Uh, the, complaint. This, the, the silversmiths were complaining that the Christians, or yeah, the Israelite Christians were uh, not buying their stuff. Why? Because they were making idols out of silver. Okay. So Christianity was bad for business. Oh, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Complaint. 
all yeah. the Englishmen turned into a riot. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, indeed, riots. <laughs> yeah. And a crowd of Ephesians rushed to the to the theater, um, chanting, "Quote: Great is Artemis of the um, of the Ephesians." End quote. That is from, also from Acts nineteen thirty four. He uses the exact phrases of goddess of Ephesus was known by that by at that time. Again, the uh, the the Bible is an utterly historical book. the The history contained in the Bible is totally accurate, except for some. Uh, bad translations that needed to be corrected by us and Christian identity. But Christianity is a historical religion because our faith is based on these actual events that took place 2,000 years ago and earlier, 4,000 B.C., okay, and, uh, to, to uh, the days that Jesus walked the earth, and, of course, the Gospels. So it is a totally historical religion. All these other religions are just loaded with mythology that can't be verified. Back to you. Yeah, exactly. Our can be verified with our our migration. And here we see the verification of the those idol worship they did. Again, putting up yeah. more idols. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the next verse, the city clerk of... And Ephesus declares, uh, quote, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven, mm. end quote. Which fell from heaven. Uh, Jesus said, I observed Lucifer falling from heaven like lightning. <laughs> Maybe she's his consort? I don't know. Back to you. Yeah, sounds like it. And mm -hmm. wasn't it all something that uh, wasn't it a Syrian also worshipped this egg that fell from heaven? Could be, it? right? Wasn't <laughs> that all something that happened? The, uh, the um, invasion of the body snatchers. No, okay. Yeah, maybe you're not familiar with that movie. <laughs> seed pods no. that uh, human beings pop out of these seed pods when they open up, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, <clears throat> sorry. For that interjection. Okay, yeah. No, no problem. Uh, yes, sorry, I didn't have them. Because I know I did read about the similar. What wasn't this? This um, um, this was a, a queen or some some lady that were uh, what do you say a lustful one, and she would be put to death if she mm. she also bear this son that said that he would come from heaven. He has to send a uh, descendant from heaven, something like this. But I don't remember the details of it. But yeah. I think that Syria. Yeah. Yeah, right. It also might be uh, Babylonian, you know, Babylonian mythology. Uh, might be uh, Semiramis, you know the. Yeah. There. Okay. Yeah. Semiramis. Okay. Yeah, we see yeah. the similarity. Yeah. All. The, the, yeah. All these heaven. legends of the other religions can be blended into a new religion, <laughs> right? Which, uh, which they've probably done, right? Here at Ephesus. Yeah. 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 Exactly. We see it here. They just nothing is new under the sun, as Solomon said. Okay, let's continue. <laughs> when one considers the belief of the Ephesians that Artemis had descended from the heavens as the light bearer to dwell among them, the words of Jesus to the church of Ephesus in Re Revelation chapter 2 become all the more um, poignant. Poignant. Quote, 
poignant, poignant. which is a, it's not an English word. I think it's French. <laughs> Incorporated uh, by uh, English. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Quote. Um, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. End quote. Jesus lays claim to the title, quote, light bearer, end quote, who um, came down from on high to walk among us. He is intentionally setting himself above the most uh, devoutly worshipped goddess in Ephesus. You mean he has competition? <laughs> he sure yeah. does. Yeah, but this, this, yeah. the false gods that doesn't Luc- have hand, cannot help, and, yeah. and Arios cannot do anything. Right, Lucifer himself claims to be a light bearer, right? Okay. Yeah, but he himself saw a fall from heaven, so mm-hmm. it must be this. Right. Yeah, Jesus descended from heaven and went back up there, but Lucifer is not going to have that opportunity. No, he only go to the pit, the burning right. pit. That's yeah, the burning pit. Yes, yeah. and where he will be for all of the rest of the time. He won't come up again and right. a thousand years, something like that. He will be there. He won't come yeah. up again. By the way, uh, th- that burning pit imagery actually comes from the Hebrew word, I believe it's Gehenna which was uh, a garbage pit outside of Jerusalem, which was perpetually on fire, <laughs> right? Somehow a fire started there, and people just kept feeding the fire with more garbage, right? So that's kind of the way we should picture the burning of the tares. It will be fed eternally with garbage from from earth, yeah? <laughs> All right? So there's a... a and we had the same th- uh, that happens all the time, really, because uh, in the south side of Chicago, there's a huge mound of garbage, which is now covered with grass, and they've got roads. But they have to stick pipes into this mound of garbage to let the methane escape. And uh, so those methane pipes are constantly burning because this garbage produces so much methane. Okay, so I think the uh, pits of hell, that burning fire, will be producing methane for eternity because uh, garbage is going to be thrown into it forever as well. That's going to be part of our job as the bride of Christ is to clean wherever we find evil lurking. We clean it, we grab it and throw it into the pit. That's going to be part of the job of the bride of Christ in the kingdom, right? That's going to be fun. I wouldn't mind being on that detail. Back to you. Yeah, think about how much work you like. Only yeah, right. <laughs> I, oh, my. That will take some time, you know. Yeah, I could set up a contracting company. <laughs> Eli's uh, recycling <laughs> service, right? Okay, back to you. We're having yeah. too much fun here today, folks. All right. Yeah. So now we have a heading about sorcery. So this was also apparently going on here at Ephesus. Mm-hmm. Now let's go into this and see what they say. During the Apostle Paul's three years of ministry in Ephesus, many people left their pagan beliefs to follow Jesus. Oh, amen. Okay. Not only did this affect the worship of Artemis, it affected the many people who were involved more generally in society in sorcery. So in Acts 19.19, we read, end quote, end quote, a number who had practiced 
um, sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. Wow. Wow, that's like burning copies of the Talmud. Yeah. Hmm. When they, yeah, when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, end quote. Hmm. That's probably kind of money. I mean. Yeah, right. We're talking about big money here, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that is what is worth much of what is produced today, unfortunately. That is what is worth. It is yeah. only for fire. Right? Expensive um, fires. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sorcery flourished in the first century, and not just in Ephesus. Um, um, Suetonius. Suetonius writes that Augustus ordered that 2,000 magical scrolls be burned in 13 BC. Okay? A collection of nearly 250 magical uh, papyri were discovered in Egypt, some dating to the 1st and 2nd century. Only 250? I would imagine thousands. Hmm. They contain spells, curses, and re recipe for amulets, uh, the sort of incantations that um, typified Roman-era magical practices. Yeah, okay? that's still going on today, folks. <laughs> no, they didn't pay carbon tax back then, brother. <laughs> they paid in other ways. They, right. <laughs> Okay. okay. Burning scrolls, that's a no-no today. That creates carbon dioxide. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, given that Ephesus was the chief port city of Asia Minor. Oh, that's a big city then. It's mm. a, a port city, so you have much travel going on here. Yeah, a big uh, merchandise, you know, mercantile city. Oh, my. Right? Out. <laughs> like the, like the New York City. Of uh, Asia Minor. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, they have them there as well, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they, they still worship Art Artemis in New York City. There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, there was frequent trade with Alexandria. It is not a uh, stretch to believe that the magical papyra from Egypt would have reached Ephesus. Furthermore, Ephesian sorcery was widely known through the, uh, quote, Ephesian letters, end quote. Six magical words used in charms and on amulets hmm. that were said to be able to ward off demonic spirits. Oh, or I think they were... Or attack them, or yeah, no, I... yes. Yeah, yeah um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah they, these, I guess this will only attach to demonic spirits. Yeah, right. Yeah, they would attract demonic spirits, not ward them off, right? Yeah. Okay. It's hardly surprising then to read the biblical account of 50,000 drachmas worth of magical scrolls being burned, given the level of sorcery in both Ephesus and the Roman world at that time. Okay, we, that, yeah. That very interesting. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it just gives us an interesting uh, background of what was going on in Ephesus in the days that John was there and uh, the days that Paul was there. Okay, so uh, it's it's important to notice information because otherwise we really can't understand many of the statements contained in Scripture about this era. Okay, so um, let's uh, let me just quickly go into Revelation chapter two. 
where, uh, yeah, where it said mm-hmm. there's a couple of things here. Uh, there, okay, remember therefore, verse uh, Revelation two five. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick from out of its place, except thou repent. So apparently. There were times where Artemis worship uh, revived, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm positive that that's what this is referring to, that because uh, the Artemis worship was constantly competing with emerging Christianity, you would have had this ebb and flow of uh, people converting to Christianity and maybe, oh, well, I really do like Artemis worship. <laughs> I like to practice sorcery. So maybe I'll go back to that for a little while. And so there was this constant struggle here in Ephesus. Okay? So, and then in verse 6, which we briefly touched on last week, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. So that was in their favor, that they hated the works of the Nicolaitans. And so I'm just going to quote really quickly here that the uh, from an article from Renner.org, the name Nicolaitans is derived from the Greek word Nicolaos, a compound of the words Nikos and Laos. The word Nikos is the Greek word that means to conquer or subdue. The word Laos is the Greek word for the people. It is also where we get the word laity from. When these two words are compounded into one, they form the name Nicholas, which literally means one who conquers and subdues the people. Okay? Uh, We talked about Marcion three weeks ago trying to do that. Right, and he had he had competition, so there was all these guys running around trying to take over Christianity. It was at such early stages, and people were just learning what what Christianity is and what or what it should be. And so you have all these people coming, walking around, pretending to be authorities. Uh, ultimately, the Roman Catholic Church became that uh, Church of the Nicolaitans. It seems to suggest that the Nicolaitans were somehow conquering or and subduing the people. Yeah, like Marcion was trying to do. Irenaeus and Hippolytus, two leaders in the early church who recorded many of the events that occurred in the earliest recorded days of church history, or Israelite congregational history, said that the Nicolaitans were the spiritual descendants of Nicholas of Antioch, who had been ordained as a deacon... In Acts 6, 5, that verse says, quote, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, unquote. We know quite a lot of information about some of these men who were chosen to be the first deacons, whereas little is known of others. For instance, we know that the chief criteria for their selection were they were men of honest report, full of faith, etc., etc. Well, apparently, Nicholas had uh, rebelled and become an apostate. And so he was trying to lead people back into some other worship, 
possibly the worship of Artemis. Okay, so that's the background on the word uh, Nicolaitans, which uh, is a word most unfamiliar to most Christians, what it really means. Okay, all right, so I think that pretty much covers the historical information that we were uh, proposing to people. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got one more thing uh, for Smyrna, because now we're going to go into the book of Smyrna, and so, I mean, the, the, the congregation at Smyrna. And so I have a very brief historical sketch. And then we'll actually get back into the Bible. Um, I'm sure people are waiting for us to do that. All right. So Smyrna, this is from www.bibleplaces.com. Smyrna, excavations. Smyrna was the second city to receive a letter from the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. Acts 19.10 suggests that the church there, or the congregation there, was founded during Paul's third missionary journey. Due to the fact that the port city of Izmir houses the second largest population in Turkey today, the site of ancient Smyrna has been little excavated, so it's now called Izmir. Excepting the Agora, which is, I believe, the shopping center, the open-air shopping center, theater, and sections of the Roman aqueduct, little remains of the ancient city. Okay, well, uh, but it's, a, it's, populated, it's populated over by Izmir, so I guess there's a very little excavation they can do. Fortifications. Smyrna sat 35 miles north of Ephesus, built near the ruins of an ancient Greek colony destroyed in the 7th century B.C., Lysimachus, one of Alexander the Great's generals, rebuilt Smyrna as a new Hellenistic city in the 3rd century BC. The city was later established as a Roman commercial center with a port on the Aegean Sea, uh, so uh, second in size probably to Ephesus. Scholars believe that the city grew to about 100,000 by the time of the apostles Paul and John. The Agora this 2nd century A.D. Agora, midway between the Acropolis and the harbor, was partially excavated by German and Turkish archaeologists from 1932 to 1941. Porticos line the north and west sides of the Agora. Porticos are um, open-air uh, porches, let's call them, with uh, pillars supporting the roof. So if it rained, you can get out of the rain by going underneath the portico. Porticos lined the north and west sides of the Agora, and an altar to Zeus sat in the center. So, Ephesus was the center of Artemis, and uh, Smyrna the center of Zeus. Of course, uh, Artemis was uh, descended from Zeus, wasn't she? <laughs> right? <laughs> if we are to believe that. Agora first level arches. The letter in Revelation 2, 8-11 is filled with affection and joy that comes from triumph over hardship and persecution. The church faced strong Jewish opposition in Smyrna. I had to double-check that to make sure that it was a correct statement, and that is true. Jewish, Edomite Jew Pharisees were, were persecuting the Israelite Christians. There was a considerable number of Jews in the city from pre-NT times through the Ottoman period. 
Even today, various synagogues are located throughout the modern city. So let me just comment here. What, what was going on among the Judahites, many of them were followers of the Pharisees and were trying to keep the Old Testament sacrifices alive along with the Pharisees. Okay, so there was conflict among the people of Judah. Agora Lion Statue. When John said that some will be thrown into prison, he knew that Roman imprisonment was frequently a prelude to execution. He encouraged the believers to be faithful even unto death. In this persecution, John's own apprentice, Polycarp, was martyred here in A.D. 155. In an example of John's warning and exhortation, he refused to blaspheme Yahweh's name and was subsequently burned alive. I think a footnote to this, because John, I think the legend goes that John actually survived this attempted execution because he would not burn, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. They looked inside the furnace, and they were still walking around in there, and their bodies refused to burn. I think the same thing happened to John. All right. Now, I think we're ready to go back into Scripture. And so, uh, yeah, so go ahead, and we're ready to tackle the church in Smyrna. And I think what I'll do, Michael, is I'll just quickly uh, summarize the meaning of the verses we're going to read. And then uh, you go ahead and read them, and we'll do more commentary based on the article. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, and a question. Get, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. This general that rebuilt Smyrna, was this one of those four generals that would take the place of Alexander the Great after his death? Those four horns that was prophesied, so it's just an, I don't use the word, normal general. Could this yes. be one of them that took, took, uh, took over after Alexander the Great? Absolutely, yes. Uh, he was one of the four generals, and that was predicted in the book of Daniel, that uh, when... Uh, the what was his image i think he was the leopard yeah yeah um, alexander the great was the leopard because his army moved so swiftly but when he died daniel predicted that his kingdom would be divided into four parts uh based on the four generals and yeah this was one of them Yeah. yeah so again the bible is a historical document everything that the bible says about history is verifiable back to you yeah, yeah, but that was uh, just my my uh, my thought that this could be one of the generals. So uh, now we're going to read. Um, you start up to read um, your the description. You want me to read um, Revelation two eight until eleven, or um, yeah, and then I'm, you make. Yeah, I'm trying to find my article. Which uh, wait a minute, it must be uh, my browser switched on me. I'm gonna. Oh, here we go. All right, so. I just want, I'm trying, there we go, I'm trying to locate the article uh, that I have. I may have to just relocate it here. Uh, Okay, so while I'm doing that, why don't you go ahead and start reading Smyrna while I'm trying to locate the article? It just disappeared off my screen. Okay, Okay. so, okay. So, uh, this is then uh, Revelations 2.8 until 2.11. Uh, And I read from the scriptures. 
and to the messenger of the assembly in Smyrna write, This says, The first and the last, who became dead and came to life. And here also we have to um, reference to the book of Isaiah, that refers to first and the last, and that is Isaiah 44.6 and Isaiah 48.12. Okay. Um, I can read both of them. 44, yeah, go ahead. Says, yeah. Who said Yahweh, sovereign of, sovereign of Israel and his Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no Elohim. And mm-hmm. Isaiah 8:12. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel. May called, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Uh, so, Revelations 2 9, then. I know your works and uh, pressure and poverty, yet you are rich. And the blasphemy of those who say they are Yehudim and are not. <laughs> are right? Of Satan. This is a known verse for us. Yeah, now, now that's an excellent translation. Those who say they are Yehud, which means Judahites, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So you're reading from the scriptures, not from the King James, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. that is an excellent translation. That's how it should be translated, okay? Because that's the fact. And we in identity know that the Edomite Pharisees had started their own religion called Talmudism, but which the Judeo-Christian world assumes that they were practicing Mosaism. They were not. They were making up their own religion. And they, were, they were using uh, the Bible as a prop by which to quote verses from to, so they could pretend that they were the scribes of ancient Israel when they were not. They were Edomites pretending to be Israelites, pretending to be Judahites at this point in time. Okay, And so that has to be understood. Okay, so I found my article finally, and I posted it in the chat room here. And I guess. Yeah. And so uh, verses 8 through, you just read through verse 9. The church yes. means bitterness and trial. That's what the word Smyrna means. Bitterness and trial. The persecuted congregation under Roman occupation, that era, that's this, the prophetic meaning of this verse, is the uh, persecution period that the Christians went through under Roman occupation, which lasted from 64 A.D. to 313 A.D., which was when um, the the Roman Emperor Constantine ended the persecution of Christians and made Christianity a formal, and I do mean formal, (laughs) formal religion of Rome. Not the real religion, but a formal religion of Rome. Okay? So, and we just covered verse 9. All right? So, my commentary here. This is a very important verse to understand correctly because it involves the crucial difference between Jews and Judahites. Since the Jews are the synagogue of Satan, the true meaning is this. Those who say they are Judah and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan, as your translation correctly has it. Okay, back to you. 
Yes, and uh, let's uh, and also it wasn't this as you said they use it as a prop. Right. Uh, the, yeah, isn't that why, why Jesus Christ, Yeshua said, uh, "You are hypocrite. You are you are white on the outside, but inside you you are a dead sepulcher." That's right. That's right. So even today, yeah, even today, the rabbis make a big show of carrying the scroll around with them, especially in their synagogues and sometimes out in public when they, whenever they have to go out in public, especially in Israel. But it's just a prop. They don't believe a word of it. They they have their own book called the Talmud. That's what they truly worship. Okay. All right. So there's only a couple more verses about Smyrna in Revelation. So go ahead and read uh, verses 10 and 11. Yes. So Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. See, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison in order to try you. And you shall have uh, pressure ten days or tribulation. The uh, yeah, uh, your version has pressure, uh, tribulation in the King James. Back to you. Yeah. Yes. And I guess this is not ten literal days, as you will point no. out. Right. Be, and be trustworthy until death, and I shall give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. Who he who overcomes shall by no means be harmed by the second death. Okay, so the, those of us who are overcomers, those who overcame in Smyrna, will not taste of the second death. So, so their uh, life in the kingdom is guaranteed. Okay, so th that's really good for them. However, it is not achieved without overcoming a lot of tribulation. Okay, so the 10 days of Revelation 2.10, let me refer back to my document. The 10 days are references, these are prophetic days that are not literal, because it's talking about events that have yet to come. Okay, they are references to the 10 periods of persecution, bitterness and trial, right? That's what the word Smyrna means, bitterness and trial, the ten periods of persecution under ten different emperors, who are as follows. Day one, Nero, 64 AD. Day two, Domitian, 95 AD. Day three, Trajan, Trajan, I don't know how to pronounce it, I have to look that up, 107 AD. Day four, Hadrian, 127 AD. Day five, Marcus Aurelius, 165 AD. Day 6, Septimus Severus, 202 A.D. And I have to thank one of the people in the chat room for sending me a coin of Severus <laughs> with his picture on it. Day 7, Maximus, 235 A.D. Day 8, Decius, 249 A.D. Day 9, Valerianus, 257 A.D. At day 10, Diocletian, 303 to 313 A.D. And this period of uh, persecution ended, as I said earlier, with uh, the, the next Roman emperor, uh, Constantine. So the persecution ended, but the, uh, the physical persecution, but the distortion, the Nicolaitan distortion of Christianity continues. It continues from there. Okay, and then verse 11 
parenthetical remark by the angel, he who understands these messages to the seven assemblies will achieve salvation. So listen up, folks. It's very important that you understand these verses and what they're trying to tell us. Okay, so now we're going to address the church of Pergamos. So let me see. I think I sent you a... um, an article on Pergamos because we want to set up the uh, histor- yeah. We want to set this up historically. Do you have that? Yes. Is that the one of Satan's throne? Yes. Uh, that's the one. By okay. John Ehab. Okay. Would you mind sending that to me as well? Because for some reason I can't find it. So it turns out our discussion of Marcion was very important because Marcion was one of those who was trying to set up a false religion. He was a Nicolaitan, okay, trying to set up a false religion, and he there were he had a lot of competition. Okay, I think I've got it now. Yeah, the Satan's throne, the Herald of Hope, uh, where Satan's throne is, because that's one of the issues of the a church at Pergamos. I'll put this link in the chat room. And go ahead and, and start reading from it. Yes. So, uh, in the time of Isaiah, 790 until 690 BC approximately, uh, the dominant power were Egypt and Assyria. Babylon and the area of Chaldea were part of the Assyrian Empire. Yet, 13 times Isaiah mentioned Babylon in his prophecies for it was the place of Satan's throne. Babylon uh-huh. was established by Nimrod, the son of Cush, the grandson of Ham, about 225, 250 BC. Babylon was where the line of Ham spread idolatry uh, in opposition to the godly line of Shem, from which Abraham came. Uh-huh. Um, when Babylon was built by Nimrod, um, Asher, a son of uh, Shem, um, separated and built Nin, uh, Nineveh, about 400 kilometers north of Babylon, on the Tigris River. It might well have been that Asher, uh, from the god line of Shem, built his own city to escape the corruption of Babylon. Okay, that's possible, right? But uh, he probably just wanted to be on his own, not not under the authority of uh, Babylon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 800 BC, John went to uh, Jonah. Nin- Jonah went to uh, yeah, Jonah. Oh, yeah, yeah Jonah yeah. went to uh, Nineveh and announced divine judgment against the city, which had become evil, and the king called the, the whole city to repentance. At that time, the king feared the Lord greatly. You can say Yahweh greatly. Uh-huh. Um, indicate that he had prior knowledge of uh, Yahweh. Yeah. He was a Shemite. Okay. Uh, we, need, Jonah needs to come to Washington District of Corruption <laughs> and announce divine judgment. I wonder how many of them will listen. No, they probably they will probably cast him away yeah. as a hate. Uh, uh, yeah, that, he, he's got to be joking, right? That's a real knee slapper. Divine judgment on Washington, D.C. You got you know, the Democrats, <laughs> they don't believe in divine judgment. 
No, they are. Mm-hmm. No, they're they're heathens. They're heathens. Yeah, they're just, yep. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it is Satan's favorite forms of government. They Amen. form of government. Amen. As they all put up. Uh, about 2000 BC, Abraham was told to get out of the Ur, uh, which was a leading city of Chaldea, and to go to the land of Canaan. We know from archaeological research that Ur was an idolatrous city dominated by pagan temples. Uh, yeah. As is Washington, D.C. <laughs> right? And oh, yeah, uh, Judeo-Christian cool. temples everywhere. Oh, yeah. Same mm-hmm. as in this nation as well. Yep. Though here is more Edenistic, here is more atheistic, mm. I would say. Yep. So, the land of Canaan to which God sent Abram was inhabited by the Canaanite who descended from Canaan the brother of Cush. Um, God placed a curse on Canaan. That's Genesis 9.25. When his father, Ham, might, uh, might light of the uh, nakedness oh, of Noah. I think it should, it should say made, M-A-D-E. That's got to be a misprint. Made light of the nakedness of Noah. Okay, well, we know that what actually happened was there was a little bit of incest going on there. <laughs> right? And that's why Canaan was cursed and not Ham. So this guy actually gets it right because so many Judeo-Christian pastors will tell you that Ham was cursed. Even the Jews will tell you it was Ham who was cursed and the curse of Ham was that he became a Negro. All right? That's what it says in the Talmud. This is where we get this nonsense from. Back to you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Canaan was the uncle of Nimrod, and it is not surprising to find Babylonian influence in the land of Canaan when Joshua led Israel into the promised land. At that stage, the Canaanites were exceedingly wicked, and Joshua's army was the divine instrument to destroy them. Yes, they're still wicked today. (laughs) They're still with us. Yeah. And we had a lot of different kings during that time, also in the northern kingdom and also in Judah. In Judah, there were some were good, right, uh, right, with were in line with Yahweh, other were not. So they were punished for it. Mm. So they was going back and forth. That's what I've got when I read from Eusebius' uh, dissertation about that. In the conquest of Jericho, uh, 1450 BC, Achan, an Israelite took a, uh, quote, godly uh, Babylonish garment, end quote, and hide it in his tent. Isn't this, is this uh, Esau that takes his garment? Or maybe I'm completely No, no, that that story is contained in the book of Jasher. It's not contained in the Bible. So, you know, we have to take it with a grain of salt, but it's probably true. Okay. Okay. Um, this was not just a quality garment, but a priestly garment worn in the worship of Babylon's deities. Archon and his family, who were uh, complicit with him in the matter, were put to death for touching the, quote, accu- uh, accused ki- thing, end quote. Mm-hmm. Babylon's influence spread among all nations. And the gods of Babylon were worshipped under different names in Egypt, Greece, and Rome. 
yeah, we've seen that in Greece. We've seen this uh, this uh, black with black hands. No, I forgot the name on it already. Yeah. That's worried about oh. from from uh, from uh, um, Ephesus. Ar- Artemis, yeah, okay. Yeah, Artemis. Yeah, yes. the, the the black Madonna. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, Israel was uh, plagued with Babylon influence and brought herself into into judgment for it. Again That's and correct. again, the people mm-hmm. turned to Babylon idolatry and repeated the consequences. Um, right. Well, yes, and here's as you say, like uh, pictures of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon and his, I guess, his wonders that he built. Because I guess he built a lot of stuff, also. Right. All of those stuff is gone today. I guess Babylon is um, that place is in is in completely wasteland today. Yeah, although I think they've discovered uh, the the actual place of the uh, the, the temple, the, zi- the ziggurat of Nimrod. I think they've actually discovered it. You know, it's way out in the desert. Uh, hadn't been anybody dwelling in that area for millennia, actually. Okay, so but I think they somebody claimed to have found that ziggurat. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while, in the days of uh, Pivli, king of Assyria. The Babylonians appear to have dominated the Assyrian Empire. Pugelen is a Babylonian name, and perhaps for this reason was omitted from the Assyrian list of kings. Some have suggested that Pugel was another name of uh, uh, Tiglath Pillar, okay? Mm-hmm. But First Chronicles 526 makes it clear that they were different personalities. Okay. I don't know. I'm a bit unsure what that what that refer, refers to. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. I think the author may be wrong about that. That uh, the uh, pull. I think pull was short, or so it it might still be two different people, but the name pull P U L was a shortened form of Tiglath Pileser. Okay. So there still may be two people, but uh, the name pull is a reference to. It's a short form of Tiglath Pileser. Back to you. Yeah, I can read the verses he's referring to. It's this first okay. Chronicle five twenty six. Sure. Uh, so the Elohim of Israel uh, stirred up the spirit of Pul, sergeant of um, Asher, even the spirit of uh, Tiglath uh, Pilser, sergeant of Asher, and he took the um, Reu- uh, Reu- Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh into exile, and brought them mm-hmm. to Allah, and Habor, and Hara, and the river of Gosan into this day. Oh, part of the dispersion, I guess. They took right. away the, the yeah. from Reuben, and Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh. Yeah. So now remember, the Assyrians were direct descendants of Shem. So they were our blood brothers, but now they conquered us, and took us north, but this was Yahweh's judgment upon the ten northern tribes for becoming pagans. Yes, yes, and we start worshiping this golden calf again. I guess was that right. something that he did in yep. Samaria? He picked up this calf because mm-hmm. he didn't want uh, the people to go to Jerusalem and find brotherhood, brothership with uh, the the um, two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, so all twelve yeah. tribes were taken. Portions of all twelve tribes were taken into captivity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. After the Syrian army of um, 
Sennacherib was destroyed by the angel of the Lord in the days of Hezekiah. We read. Oh, now words again. Well, let, um, me try, let me try this one. Merodach Baladan. Merodach <laughs> Baladan. It's interesting that in Hungary there's a lake Balatan. <laughs> right? So it could be a reminiscence of Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Letter to uh, Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. Mm-hmm. And that's Isaiah 39.1. Yeah, and uh, Steve and I had done a, a two-part series on the Hungarians and who they were, and we concluded that they were present at the uh, fall of uh, Nimrod and the scattering of the tribes and the confusion of tongues, and that they went north. They were uh, Shemites, who, although possibly uh, Japhethites, Okay, but nevertheless, uh, our our kinsmen, because we're all descended from Noah, that they settled in Hungary, and that's where you get these uh, Hungarian connections from. Back to you. Yeah, and they also use a lot of the Baal names in the yes, name. Yes, Baal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Baal, Be- uh, Bela is a very mm-hmm. common Hungarian name, right? Yeah. Okay, let's continue then. We have more uh, history yeah. here. And no doubt, the king of Babylon was delighted when the Assyrian army was destroyed and revolted against the Assyrians. Uh, however, history records that um, Senar, Senarib, yeah, Sennacherib, Sennacherib, yep, yeah, raised another army and destroyed Babylon, its walls and temples. However, Babylon was rebuilt in the days of Esarhaddon. 660 to 680 BC, the son of Sennacherib. Yeah, uh, so there was, there was a lot of uh, defeating and losing and defeating and losing going on, right? Yeah. Uh, ebb and flow. And yeah. Yes. And we have um, Esarhaddon spent several years subduing the Phoenician coast and northern Israel. That's 677, 677 until 676 BC in Egypt. 674 to 671. It was probably about this time that um, Esarhaddon uh, bound idolatrous uh, Manasseh, king of Judah, and took him to Babylon. When Manasseh uh, repented of his wickedness, he was released and restored to the throne of in Jerusalem. Okay, yeah. so repentance works. <laughs> right? It re- really works. Okay, I tell yeah. you what, because... Um, uh, this is a longer article than I thought. Let's uh, scroll down to Satan's throne in Babylon because uh, this is this was transplanted from Babylon to Pergamos. Very important fact. So if you want to scroll down to Satan's throne in Babylon and pick it up from there. Yeah, okay. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 4, we have, um, um, quote, proverb against the king of Babylon, end quote. It is clear, however that the personality behind the king of Babylon, Isaiah's day, was Satan, for he is addressed as, quote, Lucifer, son of the morning, end quote, Isaiah 14, 12, who had said in his heart, um, and this is a quote from Isaiah 14, 13, until 14, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, 
I will sit also upon the mount of the congregations in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And this yeah, that's the Luciferian rebellion, yeah. Yeah, is it that also in the sides of the north? Isn't that why it's always dark in the Freemasonic lodges? Well, yeah, that's interesting. Well, the... Um... The Freemasons and others uh, teach that the angels who rebelled descended on Mount uh, oh, Hermon, which was north of the tribe of Dan. So pretty much that was the end, uh, te- the border of the twelve tribes, and Mount Hermon is just north of there. So the, the fallen ones descended uh, on Mount Hermon and uh, begot uh, children. In Canaan land, you know, because we still, the Bible reports that there were giants in those days, right? How do, how were those giants created? Well, because these fallen ones that descended on Mount Hermon mixed with the uh, son, the daughters of Adam, even in the area where Noah was, and produced hybrid offspring, okay? Many of whom were giants, okay? So uh, that's probably what this is talking about. I guess also Goliath, uh, that David slew this big giant that was in the Phoenician army, and I guess it was more the those giants seems to be with the Phoenicians. Yeah, I guess uh, the Philistines. There was a Philistines yeah, the Philistines. Yeah, yeah, Philistines. Yeah, sorry, the Philistines, of course. Uh, so there, but he was so well armed, so he walked so slowly. This Goliath, so <laughs> right. they had the time to throw a stone yeah. in his head. Yeah, exactly. Well, he was a, of the tribe of Gath, which was a tribe of giants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He were a very. He was very proud yeah. in all manner. So, yeah, but, yeah. We can expect that from giants, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. David put him down. Yep. A little guy. Little David. <laughs> he was a little guy. He was with those small yeah. stones. All right. Okay. Uh, this action had brought judgment, and Lucifer had been cast out of heaven. In Isaiah's day, Satan possessed the king of Babylon, and the throne of Babylon was uh, therefore Satan's throne. Let me add something to this, because the kingdom of Babylon was then ruled by Jewish moneylenders, or I would say pre... They were related to the Edomites of the Bible, because they were called uh, uh, Sephardim. Sephardim, and we know that they're Sephardic Jews. The Sephar was a suburb of Babylon at this time, and that's where the Babylonian Talmud was written. That's what we're talking about here, the Babylonian Talmud. Back to you. Ah, okay. Okay. Okay, so Satan is the, quote, God of this world. That is from 2 Corinthians 4.4. And the nations are under his control, as he indicated to um, the Lord on the Mount of uh, Temptation. That is, yeah, he did to Yahshua Messiah. He did those temptations to him, is Luke 4 6. After the flood, Babylon was the capital city of Satan's dominion. It was where Satan's throne was located. Other kingdoms were controlled by, quote, principalities and powers, end quote. And there were the, quote, the rulers of the darkness of this world, end quote. 
Ephesians 6.12. But Satan uh, personally ruled the kingdom of this world from mm. Babylon. There you and go. Today, uh, but today it changed maybe to, I guess, City of London or I don't know if uh, oh. New York is still. Right. Yeah, well, we're the, we're, wherever the Jewish moneylender headquarters is, that's the seat of Satan. Yeah, and it is London, for sure. The city within the city. Yep, Rothschild. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the final beast. Yep. That so many struggle to find out. Right, right. Yeah, so we see here's the Babylonian connection because, the. let me put it this way real quickly, the fractional reserve banking system by which the Rothschilds rule the world, was invented in the city of Babylon while these Jewish money, I think it's fair to call them Jewish, because they were Sephardim, okay? These Sephardim were transplanted to uh, Palestine by the Assyrians. After they t- took the Israelites out, they took the Sephardim and moved them to Palestine. That's how they got there. Back to you. Ah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. interesting, yeah. Sounds like they were, yeah, Jewish. That's uh, yeah, uh, pr- pr- proto Jews is probably the correct word. Proto Jews, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call themselves. So they have it. Then they that's have right. It. They call themselves Sephardic Jews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and this is the last paragraph here. It said Daniel records how Michael contended with the quote Prince of the Kingdom of Persia end quote. That's Daniel 10, 13. Mm-hmm. And when he left Daniel, Michael uh, contended with the, quote, prince of um, Grecia, end quote, Daniel 10, 20. These are demonic princes over nations. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, Persia. Right? And then yeah, Grecia, yeah. Is, that, is that then Alexander the Great's kingdom? Yes, yeah, absolutely, because uh, he did defeat, uh, he built a causeway from the land to the island of Tyre and got his sho- his soldiers to go across it and destroy Tyre, right? Okay, all right, so yeah, there's a lot, again, there's tremendous history involved in all of these Bible verses, all right? The, the Judeo churches totally ignore this history. Okay, so uh, let's skip Satan's throne in Tyre. And scroll down to Satan's throne in Pergamos. Now we've got some real good historical background to understand what was going on in Pergamos and why Satan's throne, as it says right there in Revelation, why Satan's throne was in Pergamos at that time. Okay? Oh, in fact, here he talks about Alexander built a great causeway. So pick it up from there. Yeah. Alexander the Great built a causeway to the island's city of Tyre and besiege it. Yeah, that that island is not an island anymore. It's just more a, what is what they call it, half island. I don't know the English word. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think there is an English word for that. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, because I think that causeway is permanent now. You know, so it's kind of like a road. You know, so mm-hmm. they yeah they just put a bunch of rocks and dirt and, and, and built a road on it. So, But it's still technically an island. Back to you. Yeah, yeah. Call about a building, much filling. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and the women and children had been taken to Cartago, but 40,000 men remained. And I guess Tyre, wasn't that built by um, Sarah Judah? Yes, uh, no, uh, Tyre was built by Asher, Dan, 
and maybe a couple other, um, because now it existed before the Israelites took it over, but the Israelites definitely took it over. And uh, the ships that they plowed uh, through the Mediterranean, were they were called Phoenicians from that point on. But they, those ships were manned by Israelites because the Canaanites did not have any knowledge of seafaring, none whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'm... I'm... Yeah, I maybe uh, miss it with uh, more upward, the uh, more to Troy, I guess. Okay. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Tyre and Troy are, are not quite the same, uh, but you know, there may be a connection. You know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Linguistically, but yeah, Tyre was uh, the city that uh, Alexander destroyed, and the Israelites eventually took over, and uh, from that point on, they became known as Phoenicians. Right, but they were still they spoke perfect Hebrew. Now, if the Phoenicians aren't Hebrews, how did they learn Hebrew, right? And the Hebrews spoke Hebrew way before the Phoenicians did. Those Phoenicians were Israelites. Back to you. Yeah, yeah, of course. I I was a bit more and more to the north than I was Tyre. I yeah missed them together. Okay, uh, but yeah, they, they were probably built by my ancestors. Sounds like Asher, yeah. Dan, and uh, Naphtali. So there you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, my the one predecessors to my mm-hmm. uh, here up. Of these thirty thousand were sold into slavery, and the island's city of Tyre destroyed in three hundred thirty-two B.C. Satan then moved his throne to the Grecian city of Pergamos. Um, Pergamum in Asia Minor, which became the leading city of Asia under the Greek um, Seleucid kings and was woefully given over to idolatry. Okay, so that makes it clear how why Pergamos was the seat of Satan's throne at that time. We can maybe uh, a couple more short paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, the Greek um, uh, Seleucid era came to an end with the reign of the infamous Antheos uh, Ephanes, and that is from 163 BC, who uh, desecrated the temple at Jerusalem and was a type of the future Antichrist. Yes, and uh, he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's why he's considered so infamous, yep. Yeah, wasn't this also during this time you have the Maccabees? Wasn't they during That's the right. That was, that was during the era of the Maccabees, right. And the Maccabees revolted against Antiochus because of that horrible act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hastings Bible Dictionary states that coins were struck in Pergamos early as 420 BC, but it attained greatness in 284 BC. And finally, King. Atalus the third, bequeathed, 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 donated, or yeah, ga- gave it to them for an inheritance. Yeah. Okay, the kingdom uh, to the Romans in uh, 133 BC, when it became a Roman province. Now this explains how the Jewish bankers wound up in Rome. Ah, because yeah. they they got appended. <laughs> To Rome, just as the Edomites got appended to Judah by King John Hyrcanus. You see, they don't invade; they just get appended. Back to you. Yeah. 
Yeah, seems to be. Yeah, they, they didn't. They didn't do any work. I guess mm-hmm. they were just. Yeah. Right. Oh, you could use a few Jewish moneylenders. Uh, 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 emperor, who was emperor at this time? Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Julius Caesar. So whoever it was at this time, you know, th- that's how these Jewish bankers, proto-Jewish bankers, finagled their way into Rome. Yeah, and then they they were stuck. Yeah, right. Then it's over. Roman... Once the Jewish ba- bankers establish themselves in your country, it's over. Yeah, just a matter of time. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, Attalus, the one from 241 to 197 BC, uh, sided with the Roman against the um, Seleucid and Greek Syrian kings, kings, and assisted the Romans in taking quote the sacred image of the uh, Prygian Mother of Gods. Okay, which the uh, Sibylian books uh, directed them to bring the Ro- to Rome as a condition of success in the war against Hannibal. Wow, Hannibal. so the Romans imported the mother of gods <laughs> to Rome thanks to Attalus I. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. a couple more paragraphs here. And then uh, maybe conclude with the paragraph that says in AD 96, John described Pergamos. Okay, that should uh, complete our historical sketch of Pergamos. Yeah, Uh, this, no doubt, was uh, prepared for the next stage of satanic dominion, which relocated to Rome when the Vatican would later teach that Mary was the mother of God. All right. No, okay. it was Semiramis. <laughs> or, yeah. Now, what was the name of, uh, it doesn't say that what the name they had for this Phrygian mother of gods. Maybe I can look that up while you're reading here. Yeah. Um, Pergamos has been described as a pagan, quote, cath- cathedral city, end quote. And boasted the great altar in the temple of Zeus, located oh. on the elevated locations overlooking the city. The city had uh, temples to the gods Dionysus, Athena, uh, Faustina, etc., and bore the title uh, Trise Neokosh which indicate that it had been separated temples to emperor of Rome, each with their own priesthood. Mm. The early Christians refused to burn incense to the emperors, and there were many martyrs yeah. burn in- incense. Okay. We may, uh, okay. we may have that history being repeated as well. Okay, I, it should have occurred to me that the goddess, her name was Sybil, in English, Kibbele in Greek, but they spelled it S-I-B-Y-L-L-I-N-E, where in the Greek it's K, uh, K-I, Kibbele, okay? So they threw me off by the spelling. Yes, yeah, a Sybil that was the goddess of the Phrygians, and so it's probably just another name uh, for uh, Semiramis, okay? So... Yeah. Okay, yeah. So a uh, couple more sentences, and uh, we're almost done. we're almost out of time. So let's uh, let's complete this sketch of Pergamos while we're here. Yeah, in AD 
96, Jean described Pergamos as the place, quote, where Satan's seat throne is, end quote, and, quote, where Satan dwelleth, end quote, Revelation uh-huh. 2. The Jewish moneylenders had set up shop there. That's what is actually going on. Back to you. And probably this is where I probably got it from that he died in, in Pergamos. Maybe I was wrong on that, that he, he has described Pergamos as a place of Satan's seat. That's because right. he, lived, he lived during these times. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He lived in the Roman Empire. Yep. Uh, according to Hastings Bible Dictionary, uh, Christians were brought to Pergamos to be tried and sentenced to death. John alluded to this when he wrote of Anthipas, the, uh, quote, faithful martyrs who was slain amongst you, where Satan dwelleth. Okay. Revelation 2.13. Yeah, okay. Now we got a really good understanding of what John was trying to tell us. So go ahead with the few minutes we have left. Go ahead and read the verses about Pergamos. We probably won't have time to do any commentary, but just go ahead and read through it. Uh, Let's, in the inscriptures. Yeah, right. Revelation 2.12 to 17. 2.12. Yes. Okay. This is the um, Pergamum. Uh, Okay. Revelation 2.12. And to the messenger of the assembly in um, Pergamos write, He who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know your works and where you dwell where the throne of Satan is, and you hold fast to my name, and did not deny the belief in me, even in the days in which uh, Antipas was my trustworthy witness. Mm-hmm. So was, we just found out who he was and how he died. Yes, uh, my trustworthy witness, who was killed near you, where Satan dwells. Yes, that is Pergamon. But I hold a few matters against you, because you have there those who adhere to the teachings of Balaam, who taught uh, Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of, of Israel, to eat food offered to idols, and to commit warring. That to fornicate with the Midianite and Ammonite women. Okay, yeah, that was fornication, how- race mixing. Yeah, wasn't that the priest that did come up with that idea? How yeah, be- be- Balak. And, uh, Balak. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Balak was the um, leader of the Ammonites and or Midianites, and Balaam was the priest who, who instructed him to do so. Okay, three more verses. Yeah, yes. Didn't he also, when he opened up his mouth, he only blessed the Israelites, so he said, shut up, because right. he was blessed. Right, he tried to curse the Israelites, but it always turned into a blessing. Uh, I hope that's still true today, <laughs> because, man, are we being cursed today. All right, okay. I continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you also uh, have uh, those who adhere to the teachings of the Nicolaeans, which teaching I hate. Okay, there we again, covered we that. To... Yeah, it's again, yeah, they also have the same authoritarians trying to take control over Christianity. Okay. As today, mm-hmm. 16, repent or else I shall come to you speedily and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Mm-hmm. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. 
to him who overcomes, I shall give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I shall give him a white stone, and on the stone a renewed name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Okay, so I think what we're teaching here today is the hidden manna. The, the correct interpretation of these scriptures, the covenant message, and the historical and uh, you know faith that uh, comes from the Old Testament and is continued in the New, with the only exception being the uh, elimination of the animal sacrifices. That is the hidden manna, which all the churches have wrong. They don't get it. Okay? No. Um, All right, Michael, great job. I think uh, you know these historical sketches have improved our understanding of what Paul, uh, Paul, John was saying in the book of Revelation. Thanks for uh, joining me again today, and we'll continue this next week, folks. This has been very entertaining and informative today. See you next week. Amen. Amen. Yahweh bless you all. Yahweh bless. Yahweh bless.